wanted to go to one of the memorials of the genocide. And uh, Mitchell, our son, took us to a church out in the country. And uh, it was a beautiful church from the outside. Um, and then as you went inside, um, you recognized what a sacred place it was uh, on, the, on the level that was the church before this was turned into a memorial, um, a site of the genocide. There was uh, the clothing of the hundreds of people who had been slaughtered, strewn all over the floors, their shoes, their Bibles. Um, and then because it had been designed as um, a memorial site, you went down these steps into a place that was really a tomb um, where the hundreds of skeletons were stacked. And when you were there in that place, it was still, it was dank, you know, it was sort of that damp, sort of stale smell. It was so quiet. And, and the contrast between our lives, our breath, our skin, our being, was in such sharp contrast to the lifeless bones <coughs> that lay there in those tomb, in that tomb. It was a profound experience, one that you just can't sort of like move on from, really. Um, it, it, was, it was a tomb. And, and you would think that a tomb is, is probably the, the, the last place that you would go to find life. The tomb is the last place that you would go to find life. And yet, that is the subject of our story in Luke's Gospel today. I'll just read from Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices. If you were here for the sunrise service, I hope we all have a newfound respect for those women, the women of Galilee. The women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, angels. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? <coughs> He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And they remembered those words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven 
and to all the others who were there as well. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Of course, they didn't believe it. But they did not believe the women because there were words, uh, their words seemed to be like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. It's an odd question, that one. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, that, that's not what they were there for. They had no intention to find the living where the dead reside. They weren't looking for the living. They had come to anoint the dead, Jesus. But as the angels explained, it became much less an odd question. As the angels reminded them that Christ would rise on the third day, just as he had said to them, So, why would they go to a place of death to find the living? That, 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 that question of the angels got to me. And I started thinking about it, less literally, but more figuratively. And it put in my mind the question that's sort of a, a more holistic, all in Compassing question. Why do we look for life in death? Why do we look for life in death, even when we know better? Why do you think we're going to find life in a tomb? See, that question addresses the need, the reason for Easter. The reason Christ, the Son, decided to incarnate, take on flesh, and ultimately die and rise again. Let me, let me explain. Humanity, since the fall, since Adam and Eve, our ancestors, decided to reject the authority of God and do their own thing, in essence, becoming their own gods. Since the fall, humanity has chosen death over life, has chosen to seek life in a tomb. You see, it's, it's no small wonder, really, because death is in our DNA. Since we choose to rebel against God, which is sin, death is in our DNA. Paul writes the Romans extensively about the human condition without Christ. He writes in Romans 7, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. There's nothing in and of myself that's redeemable or speaks of life. <clears throat> I am sinful in nature 
And therefore, because the Bible equates sin and death, I am dead in my sins. And that's exactly what Paul says later when he writes to the Colossians. He says, when you were dead in your sins. And so, being sinful by nature, we are dead spiritually by nature. And so, it is no small wonder that we look for life in death. We go to the tomb, we go to the place where we can find all the things that lead to death and think we'll find life there. It's because our DNA compels us to do that. We go to the place that feels most comfortable, the place that feels like home. You see, we are hardwired to seek life in dead things. Paul again in Romans. Boy, he's so vulnerable. He's so authentic here. He's so transparent. He says, for I have, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing because <clears throat> death is in my DNA. I am hardwired to sin. He continues, so I find this law at work. Although I, I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law working me, waging against war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You know, Scripture teaches us that we know better. And Paul says that. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I delight in the things of God. Those are the things that I want to do. But what I end up doing is... The, are the things that lead to death. We are created in the image of God. We have a conscience. We, we've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. We exist in a creation that sings the praises and the glory of God. We're, we're created for something greater, but we have made our choice. We're dead. And we're hardwired to seek life in dead things. Paul cries out these words again. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? <laughs> Easter addresses our desperate condition. Easter addresses our desperate condition because the very next words that Paul says after he cries out in anguish and frustration, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He says, thanks be to God 
who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Colossians he writes, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is exactly why Christ came. He came to die for us. To change us. To cancel our debt with God. To break our bondage to sin and death. So that we can know life as God intended us to know life and to experience. He came to give us life outside the tomb. He came to give us life in himself, the risen Lord. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If we accept the validity of Christ's mission, that we are separate from God by our sins, that we are dead in our sins, that Christ came and took upon himself our sins, took the penalty for our sins on the cross, and overcame our sins and our death. That we can know life outside the tomb in the risen Lord. John 5 says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over, I just love that, has crossed over from death to life. Have you crossed over from death to life this morning? (laughs) I should have heard more praising this morning. I should have heard more of you say something this morning when we had an opportunity to to share what you thought about Easter. You have crossed over from death to life. Your life is eternal. Anybody want to say something now? (laughs) See, this is what happens when we accept the gospel for ourselves. In Ephesians 2, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. I know that many people here have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You have crossed over from death to life. But you've lost your way, too. Because... The old man has been drawn back to the lure of the tomb. Has been caught up with finding life in death. And the things that lead to death. You've tasted, you've seen that God is good. But you keep getting drawn back. And you find yourself maybe at the entrance to the tomb, or maybe you find yourself in the pit of the tomb. I don't want you to beat yourself up. 
Because old habits die hard. We're hardwired. Our DNA, it is our compulsion. It's everything <laughs> draws us to that. But this morning, I want to remind you of what you're going to find in that tomb. Satan is going to make it look nice and shiny and glittery and, and glossy and wonderful and bright and beautiful. But let's be clear. Paul writes to Galatians, So I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are, led, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And you know you don't want those things to define you. You know that Satan glosses them up. And you know the desperate dissatisfaction you're left with as you frolic in the tomb. Remember, your life is no longer bound to sin and death. Your DNA has been changed. <laughs> you, you, you had your hard drive replaced with a new hard drive. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourself be burned again by the yoke of slavery. Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And some are going to say, well, it's not that easy. And I'm going to tell you, it is not that easy. It isn't easy, but you've got to understand, it's not you who's resisting the temptation of the tomb because you are in Christ you have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the temptations and with the Holy Spirit you can overcome and you can live a disciplined life and you can know the life the full life that you want you can know it it can define you it can be who you are. It can be crazy hard. But you are not alone in the struggle. In Romans 8, we read, Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and Peace. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. This is not a small, inconsequential thing. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
is in you. Praise God. It's in you. He is in you. And so you can do it. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But we do have to be disciplined. We have to seek to be disciplined because the sin that seems so natural is so easy, is so easy, will lead to death. We need to learn how to say no to that natural inclination. James said this, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting you for God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The disciplined life of the Spirit will lead you into life. Therefore, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You see, the life you've always wanted is found outside the tomb, not in the tomb. The life that you've always wanted is outside the tomb in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. With the Spirit's help, we can say no to sin and death and its consequences. Paul writes again in Romans 8, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to feel beaten up. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. We can experience in that life that we've always wanted, a love that is like no other love you can experience among people. It's an unconditional love. It's the same love that took Christ to the cross. You can experience that type of love. And then that love can be translated into a love that you can have for other people that is supernatural extraordinary love. 1 John 3 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. We can have our character shaped by the spirit of life. We can become the people we've always wanted to be. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that the person that you long to be? I love the angel's question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do we look for life and death when we know better? He's not here. He is risen. He's not found in the acts that lead to death. He's not found in the tomb. Your life, your full life, your life that exceeds your expectations 
is found in the risen Lord. It's not in the tomb. Let's pray. What can we say, Lord, but thank you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for delivering us from the tomb. Your word says that we've been raised with Christ. That we too have been delivered from the tomb. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live in light of the life that we have in you. Help us to resist the temptation to be drawn back to the tomb. Help us to have the discipline with the support of the Holy Spirit to be the people we want to be. In so doing, being like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There may be some here who have never actually decided to accept what Christ has offered at Easter. And if I'm going to remain up here a little while if anybody wants to. I won't be at the back reading. Sorry about that. I know it's a highlight. Um, but I'll be up here. And, and if there's anybody that has um, any questions or they want to you know, they want to accept that life. You know, you know what you want. We all want it. We all desire the things of God. Well, you can have it because Christ conquered sin and death. Or maybe you just want to come up and, and I can pray with you to sort of like you feel like you're one of those people that lost your way. Uh, I'd love to pray with you about that too because... One of the central figures of Easter, thank God and praise Jesus, is Peter, who lost his way, but who Christ restored, lovingly restored. And so um, I'll be up here if you're interested in praying or talking more about it. And if not, um, and you're still thinking about it, you know, go home, pray about it. It's, it's as, as simple as saying, I accept the truth, Jesus, about myself and about what you did, and, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's all it is.